Welcome everybody, um, my name's Robert and I'm one of the pastors here and just welcome, I know we've got a couple of visitors, just want to say it's lovely to have you with us. <coughs> Normally we teach through books of the Bible and over the Christmas period um, we do tend to have a break and we kind of like the month running up to Christmas, four or five weeks, we always have a Christmas series and we did this year and or last year even and um, after Christmas we'll always do kind of like a New Year's special kind of um, message and jump back into a book this year we've not done that as Pastor E said we've kind of taken a number of weeks just to really think about what the Lord is really trying to say to us um, corporately and personally and yeah, we've been doing that for the past few weeks and the, the past three or four messages into the new year have all been topical and, I, I sus uh, and, and it feels like they've been kind of really getting to the heart. Um, I, I say that definitely because I mean, I, I preached last week and I know how it affected me. And, <clears throat> um, and, and at the same time, you know, the Lord wants us to love us um, in a multidimensional way. So how many of you know, how does God desire that we love him? I kind of ask it like that without giving the answers. Rob, how does he want us to love him? By being his commandments, true, yes. That shows that we love him. But there's a specific phrase in the Old Testament, picked up in the New Testament, where Jesus talks about it being the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And I know... I mean, it's a challenge to love the Lord with all your heart, you know what I'm saying? Because all the idols that we have and the stuff that we want and desire. And, um, but the, one of the other things that the Lord desires is that we, 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 we love him with our mind. And I f again, I feel like it's been a lot of, you know what I'm saying, kind of turning over the soil of our hearts over the past few weeks. Well, we're going to do something that we've, we haven't ever done before. And it's not not have a stage. You might have noticed that's a bit different this week. Um, but what we're going to be doing differently is we're actually not jumping out of a topical kind of series into a, into a book series as we would do, but we're actually going to do another semi-topical series. And we're actually going to do a, a Bible overview. A Bible overview. Um, and I mentioned loving God with all of our mind because some of this may be a little bit um, different and unusual for some because it's obviously going to be quite technical at times. But you know, myself and Pastor E, we're, we're working at it not being studious, you know what I'm saying? Um, but at the same time, we can't get away from that because that's a part of the way that we're, get, we, you know, we're, we're commanded to love God. That is, without, So <laughs> we have to use our minds sometimes. Um, now, <clears throat> now, we're going to... This, the, the first session is pretty much talking about creation, and we're going to be looking at Genesis 1 and 2 um, briefly. But um, before, before we get to the, the, the particular specific study, what I'd like us to do is just introduce the, the overview in one sense. So, <laughs> by way of introduction to this Bible overview, how many of you know that it's one thing kind of knowing what the Bible says, being able to kind of quote verses, but it's another thing understanding how the whole Bible fits together. And I have to confess that it was probably 20, like two decades, 20 years in before I really began to understand how the whole Bible fits together. 
You know what I'm saying? Like, how does the old and like people be like, man, I don't like the God of the Old Testament, you know, but I like the God of the New Testament because he's really gracious. The God of the Old Testament's all judgmental and he's critical and he's, you know what I'm saying, throwing like lightning rods down to the earth kind of thing, right? They get this impression that the Bible is, the Bible is what it isn't. And, um, and, 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 and to some degree, sometimes that can be true of believers, of Christians, not fully understanding how the whole Bible works. So um, an illustration of that, with, I mean, it's one thing, Christians, us not being able to fully understand that. I mean, how many of you know the world would be ridiculously confused if we are not fully clear? Do you know what I'm saying? And, and just to illustrate that, I've got a, what I think is quite a funny story. And it's um, from a book by Vaughan Roberts. This is the introduction. I'm going to encourage you to have a think about this book in a, in a minute. But listen to this by way of introduction to the ignorance that exists in the world and in the church sometimes with regards to the Bible. So a police inspector <laughs> one day goes into a primary school and he's going to lead a religious education lesson in a primary school. <clears throat> and he begins the lesson by asking this question. Imagine like 30 primary school kids. Ben would be good at that because he teaches in a primary school, right? 30 kids. And he's asked this question. He says, he says, who knocked down the walls of Jericho? And there's a bit of a silence like there is now in here. And then eventually, a child kind of hesitatingly put, put up his hand and with quivering lips, he responded, please, sir, my name is Bruce Jones. I don't know who knocked the walls down, but it wasn't me. <laughs> and the policeman kind of looked and he thought, oh, this little boy is being cheeky. So what he did was he reported the incident to the headmaster. And after a while, <clears throat> the headmaster replied to the police inspector by saying, I know Bruce Jones. He's an honest lad. If he said he didn't do it, then he didn't do it. <laughs> Knock the walls of Jericho down, that is, right? So the, the police inspector is exasperated at this point. He's like, what? Doesn't anyone in this school understand that this is a Bible story? Anyway, <clears throat> he writes off to the Department of Education to complain, right? And he got this letter about this response, and it says, Dear Sir, this is to the police inspector. He said, Dear, dear Sir, we are sorry to hear about the walls of Jericho and that nobody has admitted causing the damage. If you send us an estimate, we will see, that, we will see what we can do about, about the cost. <laughs> now, that's a, a funny story to maybe one or two of us. With reference to just the ignorance that exists about the Bible. And, <laughs> and <clears throat> bef again, before we kind of jump into the study, as it were, um, here's a question, right? How many books is the Bible? And obviously, you know, it's a trick question, right? How many books is the Bible? Right, the normal response would be 66 books is in the Bible, right? But the answer is yes, but the answer is no. Um, some people think 66 books, the complete Bible. Some people will give a different response to how many books are in the Bible. What do you think on another response to how many books? Uh, a clue is part of the example that I gave initially to the books in the Bible. Think of two, think of, think of the major divisions of the Bible, right? So two, two, right? The Old and the New Testament. But that's right, but it'll still be wrong. The answer is it's one book. 
It's one book. The Bible is one book. And <clears throat> although it has 40 different human authors, and it has hundreds of different small stories, hundreds of individual messages, um, it only has one author. That is one divine author. And um, it only has one overarching story. It fundamentally only has one substantial message. It's one book with one author and one message. And I admit that <coughs> although this is a divine book, it's also at the same time a human book, right? Um, and it bears the marks of, 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 of the human authors, a bit unlike the Quran. And it's a little bit like Jesus, that is the fact that it's divine and it's human, because Jesus is fully divine, but at the same time he's fully human and he's also the word of God, isn't he? Now, <clears throat> the one message in this book fundamentally is this. God's plan of salvation that he achieves through his son, who's the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the fundamental overarching, substantial message of the Bible. In the Old Testament, the promise of Jesus is promised. In the New Testament, that promise is fulfilled. So it's one story. If, if you like, it's got these two sections, but it's one story. So Jesus is the subject of the whole Bible from beginning to end. And quoting the Lord Jesus himself, he says... In John 5, he says to um, the scribes and the Pharisees at a particular part of John 5, he says, you study the scriptures, that is the Old Testament scriptures, because there was no New Testament at that point. You study the scriptures diligently, the scriptures, because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. See, Jesus saying that the Old Testament is about him. In Luke 24, a similar statement says <clears throat> that everything written about me, where? In the law of Moses, that's the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament, and the prophets, loads of books in the Old Testament that come under that title, and the Psalms, they must be fulfilled. But notice at the beginning, everything written about me. Now, <clears throat> Jesus is a central figure, and the Old Testament promises him, and the New Testament sees his fulfillment, the fulfillment of all the promises of Jesus. The Bible is not a book of quotations that you can kind of flip open and kind of pick one and just read that and be like, okay, that's my verse for the day. I mean, you can do that, but that's not the healthy way of approaching the Bible. You know what I'm saying? book of quotations you can open at any point and just read it and it makes sense right a stitch in time saves nine i don't know you know what i mean the bible's not like that the bible is more like a novel more like a novel and i'm gonna take you guys back to children's church right so look i mashed up my thumb the other day i wonder if i can do this good thing it's not a, a telephone book because i wouldn't get very far and you'd be like oh i hope that book's not a good book because it ain't no more right but <laughs> Here's the illustration. You heard of Frederick Forsyth and the Day of the Jackal. It's a famous book, famous thriller, spy kind of thing. Now, <clears throat> if this book was <clears throat> that book that was written by Frederick Forsyth, how many of you know you can read the first section, but 
the story would be incomplete without the second section. So be like, if I gave Bertram this for his birthday and Ben this for his birthday, they would have a book that's incomplete. And in some sense, it's helpful to see the Bible <coughs> as having these two sections that are vital to the full understanding of the full message. So <coughs> the Old Testament, New Testament, you can't understand the one without the other. Why? Because there's a plot. You know what I mean? Like in that book, it'll be like all this stuff in the beginning about this particular individual. You know what I'm saying? And they're a spy and it's all obscure. You don't know who they are. And then all of a sudden it finishes. You, know I'm but you need the second part to show you who he actually is and what he does or what he did. And he's a spy working for the Russians, for the KGB. I don't know. You know what I'm saying? You need both parts. Now, I know that's a, that's a very simple illustration, but it does communicate the point. I'm saying there is, you know, there's like Rasta, like all they read is the Old Testament. Like, give me the Psalms all day. You know what I'm saying? And then you've got some people who only read the New Testament. They're like, the Old Testament's irrelevant. That's not a healthy way of approaching the Bible. The Bible has a plot. You know what I'm saying? It has a storyline. You know what I'm saying? It has a beginning that leads to an end. There's promise in the Old Testament, and we see that fulfilled in the New Testament. Can you see that? Now, you've got a couple of guys who are very helpful on this stuff. A guy called Graham Goldsworthy and a guy called Vaughan Roberts. So Graham Goldsworthy has written a book. Actually, this one's a trilogy. Um, and he was the individual that came up with something I'll tell you about in a minute. And then Vaughan Roberts, in his book, God's Big Picture, has taken that, 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 that particular perspective on the Bible and he simplified it. So out of the two, if you're very theologically inclined, you can go get the Graham Goldsworthy, but I'd recommend um, Vaughan Roberts because this book simplifies a very complicated, mm, simplifies something that Graham comes across with quite complicated. And as we're going through this series, I recommend you grab this book because a lot of what we're going to be sharing kind of comes from it. Very, very, very helpful. <coughs> I'll show you a couple of quotes from him momentarily. Now, this whole concept that they've kind of come up with and tried to simplify is this issue of God's kingdom or the kingdom of God. And suggesting that throughout the whole Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, you can trace these particular um, elements. That is, God's people in God's place, under God's rule, enjoying God's blessing. Any particular epoch, this, of the Bible, historically speaking, you'll be able to find these three slash four things. God's people in God's place, under God's rule, enjoying God's blessing, or <coughs> the antithesis of this, or the opposite of this. It's in Genesis that we see um, this pattern first outlined, and hopefully you can even begin to see it if you're aware of the book of Genesis, particularly the first portion. So you got Adam and Eve, they're God's people, right? And they're in God's place. Guess, guess where God's place is? Thinking Adam and Eve. Eden, it's God's place, you know what I'm saying? And they are under God's rule, pretty much, it's only one, you know what I'm saying? He's given them and they obey that and then they enjoy God's blessing. Can you see the principle and how it works? Well, if you bear this in mind as you read through your Bible, you find it very helpful and it will, it will bring about a, like a synergy with regards to the whole Bible 
and you appreciating that it's one story, right? With loads of li little different stories that make up this one big story. Now, let me not get ahead of myself. This new series is going to run for about 14 weeks. Then we're going to break and we'll probably do something different and then we'll probably come back to the New Testament element. But we don't want to overwhelm you with, you know what I'm saying, um, <coughs> we're too much at the same time. So, <coughs> to begin, creation or Genesis 1 and 2 and Here's a quick outline because we're going to encourage you to be reading particular parts of your Bible and maybe it's something that we can do together as a church. Because I mean, if you know, we need help when it comes to reading the Bible at least over a, a consistent period. And here's a, 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 just a, a, a brief outline. If I asked you to summarize the book of Genesis, you know what I'm saying, I wonder, of us, I wonder how many of us would be able to do that quite easily and clearly. You know what I'm saying? It's, it, it, it will be quite a challenge. Well, here's a brief outline of the whole book in a really simple fashion. You, uh, hopefully, you'll be like, oh, man, I never realized it could be that simple. But the whole book of Genesis, you know what I'm saying? Um, we're doing creation today, but then there's the fall, flood, and then the nations, the table of nations. And then, if you like, there's four events, and then there's four people. And it's Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. That's pretty much a very, very good summary of the whole book of Genesis. Now, we're only going to be doing um, creation today. So I'm going to encourage us to, to be reading through Genesis. What we'll do is we'll put up on the vine what we're reading, when we're supposed to be reading it, so you can kind of stay synced in as we go through um, the, the, the Old Testament over the next 14 weeks or so. As I said, today we're going to be looking at Genesis 1 and 2. Now, Genesis 1 and 2 could be argued, it could be argued that they're two of the most God-focused chapters in the whole Bible, particularly chapter one, as um, it has the most references to God than any other um, chapter in the Bible. Like there are 30 verses and there are 31 references to God in 31, in 30 verses. Now, <clears throat> our topic today falls into a very important um, biblical category in light of this storyline that I keep talking about of the Bible, otherwise known as what they call, um, some clever theologians call it the meta-narrative. Meta meaning big, and narrative is story. You know what I'm saying? So in terms of the big story of the Bible, creation is a vital and really important element. Now, when you think about time, I know this is how my mind functions, time feels very cyclical because the way the, 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 the way the clock works, you know what I'm saying, the, obviously the hands go around the clock and then they go back to where they started. You know what I'm saying? You talk about Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. You know what I'm saying? And the week goes around, it feels like in a circle, like in a cycle. Um, the months, January through to December, you come to December and you think, okay, a new year, but it's not because you go back to January. Time can feel very cyclical, but technically time is, is linear, right? And another helpful um, consideration is to understand that there are four main elements to the one big story. Um, I think we've done this before, but you probably don't remember. But if I were to ask, would you be able to summarize the whole Bible in four words? Anybody? Right, let's see if we can do it. All of us together, maybe. Not, not excluding Pastor E. All right, what's the first one? What's the, if, you, if, if you're going to summarize the whole Bible in four words, how would you do it? 
creation. Amen. Let's see if my slide's going to work for me. Well, how about the second thing? What would be the second thing? They said fall. Hey, you guys do listen. About the third one. Ah, oh, this one's a bit tricky. Redemption. Ah, uh. Guan Mel. And how about the fourth one? So think about it like this. So God creates the world and he creates a perfect world. And then, oh my gosh, within three chapters, we'll see this next week. Men fall. Mankind falls. And there's a big problem. So then what we see is God begin, as we saw in the video, to put a plan. I say put a plan into place. The plan was actually in place before man fell. But anyway, God begins to execute this plan to redeem man back to himself. Right? Once God redeems man back to himself, which is pretty much the main bulk of the Bible, like from Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, right up to Revelation chapter 21, you know what I'm saying, is redemption. That's the redemption part of your Bible. And then what comes at the end? Revelation 21 and 22. Restoration, some say. Recreation is a term I tend to use. And there's another one, consummation. You know what I'm saying? And it's that time where God is going to make everything wonderful. And I'm saying, I'm perfectly so, I'm persistently and perpetually so. So that's how you summarize, or that's how it could be suggested. You can summarize the whole Bible. This is the whole Bible story, the meta-narrative, in four words, right? And, and it's linear, as I was trying to describe earlier. You know what I'm saying? It's moving from one point to another point, historically speaking. And today's message just has four simple points. Four simple points, and... The four points of this message with regards to creation is, number one, God is the author of creation. Number two, God is the king of creation, right, which stands to reason. Humans enjoy a very privileged position with regards to being in God's creation. And then rest, which is the goal of creation. And we're going to see this in chapter one and two. Did I pray? I don't think I did. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, Father, that it is a light to our, our feet, a lamp to our paths. Thank you, Lord, that um, your word illuminates the understanding of the simple and it instructs even the wise. Lord, we're simple people and at the same time, Lord, you've taught us much, yet we are still in desperate need of understanding. Would you bring light, just like you did at the beginning when you said, let there be light. Lord, would you, be, would, you, would you let there be light in our hearts as we seriously think about this topic of the Bible and what it means in a complete and total sense so that, Lord, as we, as we look into it, as we listen to it, as we read it, as we share it, it will mean so much more to us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So number one, um, God, the author of creation. In Genesis 1, verse 1 to 3, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. The Bible is explicit in its reference to the, to the fact that God is the only one that gets credit for creation. He's the originator regarding the inception of the world as we know it. And here we see the beginning of the world, but not the beginning of God, right? God has, he does, and will always continue to exist. Someone once said, if you accept 
Genesis chapter 1 verse 1, you won't have any trouble with the rest of the Bible. If you have problems with the rest of the Bible, it's because you have problems with Genesis chapter 1 verse 1. It can also be said that, <clears throat> that we see God revealed here as ultimate creator, but also as a trinity, as a triunity. And I'm saying God being more than one person, but three persons. And it could be argued that in verse 1, you see God the Father. In verse 2, you see God the Spirit. It actually says the Spirit of God. And in 3, we actually see God the Son, who is the word of God, where God says, let there be like God says he speaks, right? And then further on, you're probably aware, in verse 26, um, in the beginning, God created, verse 26 says, God said, let us, obviously there must have been one, more than one of him, let us make man in our plural image. So right from the beginning of the Bible, we get this, we get this picture of a God who is three, yet one, and it's argued that John chapter 1 actually mirrors um, Genesis 1 in a sense. So it says, in, just like in Genesis 1, in the beginning, it says, was the Word. And the Word was with God. Well, who's this mysterious Word? And the Word, oh, was God. With God and was God? Well, only a Trinitarian view of Genesis 1 um, through 3 explains that, makes sense of that. Verse 2, he was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made, and without him, nothing was made that has been made. A little further on, we get an, a, a description of who this word is. Verse 14, same chapter. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son. It's Jesus, right? Who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Oh, we talked about that last week, remember? And then also in Colossians 1, talking about Jesus, it says, For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. No wonder, Pastor, he was encouraging us this morning to sing to him. You know what I'm saying? Because he has all power and all dominion and all authority, you know what I'm saying, in heaven and on earth. Matthew 28 says, and under the earth. Whatever that means, right? <laughs> I, I don't want to know. I don't want to know what's under the earth. Um, things create, and look, it says, it says, all things invisible, thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold, hold together. He's holding everything together. So right here at the very beginning of the Bible, in Genesis, the first book of the Old Testament, Already you can begin to see Jesus. I'm not trying to hype it when I say that Jesus, you know, there's a book that is called Jesus on every page of the Bible. And I'd encourage you, I forgot to bring my Bible. Pastor E, you got your, you got your I was going to say you got your gun. Remember back in the day we used to call our Bible our gun? Because um, the Bible is the word of God, right? And in Ephesians 6, it says it's the sword of the spirit. We don't use swords anymore, guns. E, have you got your Bible, bruv? You ain't got it? Laser. <laughs> Laser. One, you got your electronic version of the Bible. Okay. Um, anyway, why was I going to? The Bible I was going to show you is, 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 is called a gospel transformation Bible. 
and it's a really helpful um, version of the, the Bible. It's, in, it's the ESV, and, and what they've done in this Bible is all of the Bible helps, all of the book introductions, all of the, the commentaries, all of the comments in the commentary section of the Bible focus on Jesus. So regardless of which book you look at, Old or New Testament, what they do is they focus on the elements of the book that highlight who Jesus is. I'm trying to say that Jesus is on every page of the Bible if you know where to look for him. You know what I'm saying? Like a good example would be like Genesis, would be like Psalm 22. You'd be like, Psalm 22? Yeah, Psalm 22. Do you remember when Jesus from the cross cried, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You know what he was quoting? Psalm 22. It's the first line of Psalm 22. And you'd be like, why is he saying that? You know what I'm saying? If you're standing under the cross and you're Gentile, you don't know nothing about the Old Testament and you don't know the 150 top 150 songs in the Old Testament Hebrew songbook, right? The top 150 billboard like Hebrew charts, right? If you don't know that, you'd say, why is he saying that? If you do know the song, you would say, oh my gosh, Psalm 22. Oh my gosh. Psalm 22 is where it says, they, they gambled, they cast lots for my garments. Psalm 22 says, bulls of Bashan have surrounded me. Psalm 22 says, they pierced my hands and my feet. That's, in the, that's not the new, that's in the Old Testament. I'm saying, if you know where to look for it, you can find Jesus, you know what I'm saying, everywhere on every page of the Bible. And that helps us to understand that, I was trying to click my fingers, I mashed up my thumb the other day. I, could, I just about can click with my left hand. And, and you'll be like, oh, Jesus, that the whole Bible is about Jesus. Where am I? So, <clears throat> Now we're going to slightly jump forward. So God is creator, and he created man on which day? He created, no one wants to say this, like, just, just in case I don't get it right. God created man on the sixth day, right? But prior to that, just having a look at how it worked, like in Genesis 1 and 2, um, prior to creating man on day one, light, and light, light, light of day and the dark of night, in Genesis 1, verse 1 to 5. Then day two, the sky and the atmosphere. Day three, the, the earth, the sea and vegetation. Day four, the sun, moon and stars. Day five, sea life and birds. And then day six, the land, animals and us and man, right? Um, but <clears throat> day seven, God finished and then he rested and he blessed the day. He rested and he blessed the day. So after taking six days to complete his work of creation, creating different things in different di di on different days. God does something every day, or should I say, he says something every day, doesn't he, at the end of every day. What is it? He said, it's good. You know what I'm saying? He'd done the light and the dark, and he was like, yeah, that's, it's good. You know what I'm saying? The sky and the atmosphere, it's and <clears throat> everything was good. And, and it's funny because when he gets to the end of the sixth day, he says something he didn't did say the previous five days, and he doesn't just say man is good. He, he, cre like he creates man, and it's like man is like the pinnacle of his creation. And he'd be like, wow, men are male, why? <laughs> we, we can say that now, innit? Because they're married, innit? Like, men are male, wow. Oi, very good. You know what I mean? It's very good. And it's funny because at the beginning of the story in Genesis, in the garden, everything was good. How many of you know at the end of the story, the big story, and I'm saying, things are going to be very good. Things are going to be very good. Actually, it's even going to be better than it was at the beginning. Talk about paradise lost. We're going to gain more than paradise lost. You know what I'm saying? Because there's going to be 
there won't be the capacity to, to introduce the problem that we saw introduced at the beginning in Genesis 3 that we will see next week. Here's a big story plan. This is another book. I forgot to bring this one. This is actually an even more simplified version of this big story narrative. Um, and you can see so God is there, obviously self-existent, and he makes this wonderful creation. And then this wonderful creation plummets. It falls into a state of what seems like disrepair. And then in comes redemption in Genesis 3. You know what I'm saying? It doesn't take long for man to mess it up. Three chapters. And then here comes God's redemption. Right? We'll see next week. And, 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 and we see this promise of God restoring things. Redeeming fallen mankind. And all of a sudden now you see, you see this picture of God's people. You know what I'm saying? Um, in Egypt and delivered out of Egypt, brought out of Egypt. And there's this exodus where God takes his people from one place into another place. And can you see things are beginning to get better? Things are on the up. And then they move into Canaan, into the promised land. And there here they are. They're God's people in God's place under God's rule and blessing. And things begin to get better. It? Like, we'll see at a certain point that there's a golden era under King Solomon where, oh my gosh, it, it seems like, like, talk about land flowing with milk and honey, Everything is just wonderful, but, it, but it's all supposed to be pointing towards something, someone, and it's Jesus. And he comes a little bit later. I'm trying to get, I don't want to get ahead of myself trying to tell the whole story now. Uh, but then you see, you see things climax at Jesus, right? And, and then there's, I was going to say 2,000 years of history, at least up until this point. And, and then eventually we're going to see the return of Christ. And the new creation, and can you notice the new creation, as I said, is better than the old creation, in, at least in terms of the way it's pictured on, the, on that outline, right? So, God is the creator. Our second point is, God is the king of the creation that he's created, right? There's a, dis there's a distinction. Uh, and even on that picture, you saw God was above everything, because he's the king. As creator of all, God is also Lord. He's ruler. He's king. You know what I'm saying? And he's transcendent. That means he's above, beyond, and distinct from all that he's created. But at the same time, he's imminent. He's, he's close to us, but he's distinct from us. And it, sometimes it's hard to understand that. But um, <coughs> theologically, that's a fact. And Revelation 4.11 says, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and they have their being. And the, the point of this is, as king of creation, God doesn't take lightly to those that would worship anything other than him, because he's the king. In Exodus 20, God says, and you shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or in the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation to those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations to those who love me and keep my commandments. God's really concerned about anything that's created being worshipped including ourselves. We need to worship the creator as sovereign. And Romans 1 goes on to say, for although they knew God, 
They, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a, a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave, gave them over to the sinful desires of their hearts, to sexual impurity, for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the creator who is praised <coughs> who is forever praised amen so <coughs> god is the author of creation but he's also the king of creation and he needs to be given his rightful place something that we struggle with as humans because we want to worship stuff i think as tim keller said the heart is an idol making factory I'm saying, and we'd be like, oh, we don't bow down to, you know, to iron images, but we, we get in them and we drive them. You know what I mean? And if, 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 if you hit my car, I will jump out and murder you because you've now affected my idol. You know what I'm saying? Now, that's obviously taking a point to an extreme, but you get my point. We, we have idols. And if we don't worship lumps of metal or bricks and mortar in terms of houses and you know what I'm saying, or, or, or a spouse, or a potential spouse, like a, a, a girl that don't want me, I will worship, or I'll worship myself, and I'll buy the best things for myself, you know what I'm saying, I'll look after myself, I'll have a hundred pound gym membership, hey, at the, at the fanciest gym, so when I walk in there, and people see me, and I see people, I was in the gym, yeah, about, <laughs> I, it's can you just turn on the heat? In it? Is, it, is it warm in here or is it me? It's warm in here, isn't it? Wow. I was in the gym, yeah, and if, uh, yeah, not, too, not too much, you know, because it's cold out there, isn't it? And I, 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 I can't remember what it was, but it's been about, gosh, it's been about 10 years I've been saying, I'm going to go gym. I'm going to sort this out. I'm going to get fit, blah, blah, blah. It's been about 10 years. I don't know. I, can I get a witness? Has anybody been there? You know what I mean? And so I'm, I'm there, and I'm in one of the, it might have been the beginning of the year, you know, them New Year's re resolution. And I'm in the gym, and I'm, tr I'm doing my thing in it. But you know what? The battle, and maybe this is just me, but the battle I had to fight in there not to look at woman. You know what I'm saying? Not to want to walk past the mirror and think, yeah, I wonder if I'm, if, if I'm losing this. You know, it was like this battle. Now, I'm not saying the gym is a, I'm not saying the gym is a bad place, but I'm just saying it's like we're surrounded, you know what I'm saying, constantly with things that either want to be worshipped in an advert, you know what I'm saying, like you, you must have this, you have to have, you can't live without this. That's what adverts do, right? And, 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 and if that's not the case, you know what I'm saying, it's my heart. My heart is like creating all this stuff and, and um, it... it, it, it it's just we're just surrounded constantly with things that are vying for our worship other than God. And I, now I don't know. Maybe, again, maybe that's just me. You know what I mean? Um, and again, that's not to say don't go gym. You know what, <laughs> you know what I mean? But um, replace that idol, isn't it? With the right, not even with the idol, with the right object of worship. 
You know what I mean? And we can have those things to enjoy. Because I remember, like, I used to idolize music. Music used to be, the, like, probably the most important, like, over girls. Music. Oh, my gosh. You know what I mean? And, um, but then when I got saved, I was able to kind of get rid of my records. And, because I realized it was an idol at the time. And, um, but then music came back into my life in a wonderful way, in a healthy way. And I'm saying, God gives us all, the, all of these things to enjoy, doesn't he? And I'm saying, but it has its place. It's not number one. And I'm saying, God's number one. But then you can have other things on the list, but they just have their place, amen? Um, <clears throat> so, humans are the most privileged of God's creation. Um, this is our third point. Humans are the, are the most privileged of God's creation. So Genesis 1, um, verse 26, I mentioned it earlier. Then God said, let us make mankind, how? In our image, you know. There's something about the way that God has made us that probably goes further than our minds actually grasp. And I'm saying we've been created. We are the most privileged of God's creation. He said, we're going to make, make them in our likeness so that they may look, because he's going to give humans a job, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, not worship them, you know, rule over them, over the livestock, over the wild animals. I've been to India, and people, you know, like a cow will walk in the middle of the road. Everyone is... If you've ever been to India, the roads are mad. The roads are mad. You come to a junction, nobody stops for anybody. It's a bit like, bro, Nigeria. <laughs> what was that place we went to, Bertram? Lokoja. Oh, my gosh. It was a madness. It was so crazy. But India's worse. India's worse. But everybody knows the code. They know the rules. It just it, it works. But if you see the junction and... But, but nobody won't stop for nobody. But if a cow begins to walk across the road, everybody stops. It's that standard. Every because they worship cows. They worship cows. He says, you're supposed to rule over these things, over the livestock, all the wild animals, over all the creatures that move along the ground. Two things. In terms of our privileged position, one, humans, unlike the animals, are created in the image of God, right? So, if humans are created in the image of God, why are white policemen beating up like, like black men in America? Did you hear about, not even America, it's happening all over. Did you hear about what happened in France? My wife was telling me. Did you hear what happened in France last week? You probably never even saw it on the news. I didn't see it on the news. These white policemen in France, they got hold of this black guy and they raped him with a truncheon. Four inches was the, was the wound after they did the doctor's examination. I'm like, these are people who don't see other people as created in the image of God, in the likeness of God. Now, me, at one point in time, I tell you, I hated my dad with a vengeance because of what he used to do to my mom physically. You know what I'm saying? But you know what? At the end of the day, my, my dad is created in the image of God. And by God's grace, I had to forgive him. You know what I mean? Because of what he did. Fundamentally, because he's created... I mean, apart from the fact that he's my dad and I still got to honor him, you know what I'm saying? He's created in the image of God. He's created in the image and the likeness of God. Like, we've got refugees coming into the country. Whether you're Brexit or whether you're Bremain, it's not even Bremain in it's Bremon in it. <laughs> Because they don't like it, they're moaning. I say they. That means you know what I voted. Um, 
We've got refugees flooding into the country. Still got a tr regardless of which political end of the spectrum you fall into, we still got, you know what I'm saying? We still got to love them. Why? Because they're made in the image of God. I, need, I was about to set the cat amongst the pigeons. I'm not even going to say what was in my mind. Apart from now to say, if you're at school, you know what I'm saying, and you feel like, well, my teacher, she's this, and my teacher's that, you know what I mean? You still got, you know, you got still got to respect your teacher at school. Right. Don't be telling me about, you know, they, 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 this, they, 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 that, you know what, and blah, blah. No. You need to respect your teachers at school. You know what I mean? Um, why? Because they're made in the, they're created in the image of God. And furthermore, they're your teacher. You know what I'm saying? You're supposed to respect them, innit? Uh, what's wrong with this, new, this generation nowadays? They ain't got no respect for elders. You know what I mean? Like big people walk in the room and they're still playing on their game. Don't even get up and stand up and say good evening or, or good afternoon. Like what? It's not, is, is it me? I'm, I'm getting old, innit? That's what it is. I'm getting old, yeah. I'm in that, I'm in that. I, 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 amen. You know what I'm saying? And, and so humans, although part of the created order, are given a, a authority over the, the animal kingdom. That's the second thing. So first, we're created in the image of God. We must respect, you know what I'm saying, humans in that sense. You know what I'm saying? And then also, um, humans, although part of the created order, are given authority. Genesis 1.27, I think it pretty much says the same thing. And um, here's a quote. Remember, I told about Vaughan. This is Vaughan Roberts. This is the brother that wrote, wrote this book here. He says, he says, as, as those who have been um, unique, for those who have been made uniquely in God's image, all human beings have great dignity and have been set um, by him above the rest of the created order. You know, some people love their dogs more than they will love, a par love, like, 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 like love their wife. You know what I mean? Um, he says, that is certainly not um, a charter for abuse. God is a loving ruler, and as his image bearers, we are called to rule in a loving way. We are God's stewards entrusted with the care of his precious creation. So humans are the most privileged of God's creation. And number four, our last point. Rest, which is the goal of creation. Rest, the goal of creation. So one, God is the author of creation. Two, he's the king of creation. Humans are, are, are most privileged um, with regards to being a part of God's creation. And point four, rest. This is the goal of creation. As much as humans enjoy an exalted position under God, um, we are not the main focus. Every day up until the sixth day ends, as I said, evening, um, it, um, by saying it was good, but specifically evening and morning, Evening and morning, evening and morning, but not on the seventh day. There's no evening and morning. And after God completes his work of creation, he rests, dwelling on a, in, in, in a continual Sabbath. And then he invites man into that rest. Another quote from Vaughan, he says, he says, that's what we see happening from chapter 2, verse 4 through to 25. It gives us a picture of the goal of creation here is life as it was designed to be. You see a lot of that in Genesis. They say that Genesis, you find most, if not all, of the seeds to all of the doctrines in the Bible. And here we see something really, really, really important. It gives us a picture of the goal of creation. Here, how many of you know Romans 8 talks about creation groaning? Why? Because this is what it wants. This is what it's looking for. You know what I'm saying? Here is life as it was designed to be lived marked by a series of perfect relationships. 
perfect relationships. This is a part of that rest. Number one, perfect relationships with reference to the most important relationship, us and God. God and man, you know what I'm saying? And have you ever heard the, the, the illustration of the cross? So don't look at my armpits because I know I'm sweating. Think about the cross. Think about the cross, right? Now, the cross has a, it has a cross beam and as a vertical, right? So the, the, the argument is, if your relationship with God is correct, you know what I'm saying? It's upright and it's straight, it's vertical, it's the way it should be. It's not lean, right? It's straight. Then all of your horizontal relationships with man, brother, sister, family, wife, daughter, kids, you know what I'm saying? Grandparents will be, will be right. But if your relationship with God is off kelter, you know what I'm saying? It's skew if, then look at your relationship with others. God and human beings is the fundamental relationship. You know what I'm saying? And God meets all of our needs. You, know, God, you see, God is, is serving Adam and Eve in the garden. And, and you know, when Jesus comes back for the church, when, when, when you are with the Lord at the marriage supper of the Lamb, he's going to serve. Imagine Jesus serving you. See, that's how Peter felt when Jesus is like, I'm like, Who's going to wash the feet? No one wants, I'm not washing nobody's feet. And Jesus is like, cool, I'll wash the feet. Then Peter's like, no, nah, man, you ain't going to wash my feet. You see, that's how you felt when I just said Jesus is going to serve you. Because it don't sound right. You know what I mean? But that's exactly what's going to happen. And obviously, we're supposed to emulate him, aren't we? Um, we're supposed to be being like him. And um, so, so, so Adam and Eve, they're, they're God's people in God's place, under God's rule and and enjoying his blessing. And not only is their relationship with God great, their relationship with one another is wonderful. So man and woman, Adam and Eve, their relationship is perfect. It's perfect during that time of rest and before the fall, right? The two have complete intimacy. You saw in the video um, when they sinned, they were separated from, like they're separated from, hiding from God, but then they were separated from each other. You know what I'm saying? See what sin does, and this is eventually, essentially, what the Lord is wanting to remove. <clears throat> Beautiful. And then the third thing um, that we see restored, or or what rest provides in terms of these perfect relationships, is human beings and creation. You know what I'm saying? Um, and relating to the creation in the way that we ought to. You know? Did you know there was work before the fall? We, like we think work is a curse. <laughs> There was work before the fall. I mean, it became a curse um, because it became hard. Um, <clears throat> now, God's, peop God's people are Adam and Eve. God's place is the garden. God's rule is his word up until, the, up, up until this point. You know what I'm saying? It's only one law they've got to keep. You know what I'm saying? And you see God's blessing in terms of perfect relationships. Can you see that? But this is going to be horribly interrupted next week. In the next chapter, uh, in chapter three, because we're doing chapter one and two, as we'll hopefully see next week. We'll see <coughs> also later on in the series uh, um, that a big part of God's purpose in giving the Sabbath, right, which is rest. Remember, work for six days, rest on the Sabbath. It's like, every, think about it. Every week, the Jews were reminded of this beautiful pattern that was in Genesis one and two. Every week, we, we don't even think about Sabbath two twos now. You know what I mean? But it would do us well to think about it because it's a reminder of the perfect pattern. Can you see that? 
And um, in terms of this Sabbath law, it was to remind the Israelites what life was designed for. Fundamentally, a world without sin. And I'm saying we're enjoying perfect relationships and a perfect rest with God. And that's the reason that Jesus will appear later. You see the story, you see the trajectory of the story. It's like, oh my gosh, well, how are we going to get this? You see Adam and Eve in the garden hiding from one another. And I'm saying like the fruit half eaten on the floor and the serpent in the garden. And I'm saying it's like, you, the question is, like, like how, how is this ever going to be restored? It's broken. It's like, it's, like a, it's like a mirror that's shattered in a thousand pieces. How can we fix this? And this is the cry, if you look for it carefully, constantly, perpetually, right from Genesis 3, the cry is, who's going to fix this? How is this going to be resolved? You know what I'm saying? And um, without giving it away, although you know the answer already. The answer is going to be Jesus when he eventually comes on the scene. He's going to be the one who's going to reestablish the perfect kingdom, the kingdom of God. Matthew 11, verse 28. Again, under rest, which is the goal of creation. Remember Jesus, he says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you that rest that was described in Genesis. I'll give you relationship with the Father. I'll give, you I'll give you proper relationship with people that are around you. I'll show you how you can relate to individuals, even those who hate you. I'll give you rest. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. It's crazy because if you think about this in the context of Genesis, oh my gosh, here comes the curse and it's work and it's hard and it's toil, thorns and thistles. Jesus says, I'm, I'm going to give you a type of work that's going to be easy. He says, take my yoke. Because remember, yoke is what they used to put on cattle to work in the field, right? He says, take my yoke upon you. It's an easy yoke. I'm going to make light of what seems so difficult and so hard and arduous. He says, from I'm gentle and humble in heart. And it's just like, the, just like God in the garden when Adam and Eve sinned. He did curse them, but he didn't drop the sword of Damocles on them, right? He didn't execute them like we heard last week. <laughs> he could have, should have. He says, I'm meek and gentle in heart and responds like God did in the garden and covered them with animal skins. Probably slayed an animal and his blood was shed. He says, come and you find rest for you. You're supposed to hear echoes of Genesis 1 and 2 as you hear this from the lips of the Lord Jesus. In Hebrews chapter 4, it says, I remember, was it last week, Pastor, you mentioned? At school, maybe, I can't remember. But Hebrews 4 Forever hope and encouragement, it says, verse 9, there remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. And the, the inference is it ain't really fully come yet. You know what I'm saying? Although, wait a minute, but the Jews have been celebrating Sabbath for years and years and years, but they, they've not. It's, been a, it's a shadow of that which is to come. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God, the people of God, God's people. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. And I'll end on this point. Everything in the Old Testament <clears throat> is perpetually pointing to Jesus. So with regards to the, this rest and the importance of it, if I work my way backwards, right? Are you in that place where you're working and you, you hear about this rest and it sounds great? Relationship with God, wow. Think about serenity and peace in the garden. Ooh, what must have that been like before the fall? I'm saying, and you think about rest and what that means in terms of your relationship with God coming in reverse. And I'm saying, back, like, back from the, your sins and all the things that you've done that are wrong, and you're brought back into perfect relationship with God. 
as if you never sinned. What must that be, must, what, 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 what must that be like? Being in relationship with God with no separation, nothing to divide. Well, Jesus can provide that. Jesus can provide that peace. The Bible calls him the prince of peace. He's not just a prince who has peace. He's the prince of it. He can give it to who he likes, who he chooses. Have you, have you realized that you're precious in the sight of God and that you're created in the image of God? We talk about people abusing other people. And I'm saying, have you potentially been abusing yourself? I mean, standard. It's coming like 80, 90% of young people under the age of 16 smoke weed. It's like standard. Smoke weed. Some of them don't even smoke cigarette. But everybody blazes. What is that doing to your body? I mean, statistics are now proving that there are psychotic, like, um, there's a relationship between smoking weed and, and, and you're losing your mind. Psychosis, thank you. You know what I mean? Worse, like, if you smoke spice, you hear about spice that they're smoking in prisons. <sighs> this stuff is like, it's, it's lethal. And, and on top of that, there's a girl I read in the Metro just this week. She took... I don't, she, I think she snorted some coke. It was, must have been her 18th birthday party. I went out and smoked. She snorted a line of coke, and there was, there was, um, they crushed up horse tranquilizer. Ket, was it ket? In, in, the, in, the, in the cocaine. She died. You know what I'm saying? I used to work in the post office, and there was a young lady. It was her 19th birthday. I never went out, but they all went out with her this night, celebrating her 19th birthday. She took an ecstasy tablet. She died. She had a, a, a terrible reaction to it. I'm like, Talk about, you, you're made in the image of God. Now, you know what I'm saying? We're not the type of church who are going to bang on you if you smoke. You know what I'm saying? Because if you, if you smoke, in my mind, it's not even that smoking is a sin. It's just stupid. It makes your fingers smell. You know what I'm saying? It makes your breath smell. It makes your teeth yellow. It gives you cancer. And then on top of all that, you pay for it. Now, does that make, does that make sense? That don't make no sense to me. So for all them reasons, I say stop smoking. It's, just, it's stupid, right? But on, on the... On, on, God created you in his image and in his likeness. You know what I'm saying? And so, 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 rest. You know I mean? Jesus can give you rest from that madness. From that madness. And maybe there's someone that you haven't forgiven or someone that you're holding something against or how do you feel about God being the king? It's like we don't really have kings. They don't function like they used to. But king calls for, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? When the, when the king makes an edict, like when the king says jump, you say how high. You know what I mean? That's how we need to begin to see God. But we live in a, we live in a time where it's like, everybody, like I want to do me. Don't tell me what to do. You know what I'm saying? I won't get in your business. Just don't get in my face and tell me what I must do. Like none of us, we, we don't want to be ruled. We want to rule, don't we? And it's just the result of sin. We need to make God our king. Because when we do so, all of those other benefits, we become God's people in God's place, under God's rule, enjoying God's blessing. And fundamentally, he's the author. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, God breathed life into man. Mm. <laughs> I mean, it's foolish of us. You know, it's like we demand that 
we get the right and the privilege to do what we want. How we, that was how I used to live my life. I do what I want, I go where I want, and, and I say what I want. Don't tell me nothing, right? That's how we, that's how we tend to live. Now, that's a, you know, obviously an exaggeration, but it's the truth of the matter. You know what I'm saying? And God's call to us is, no, I'm the creator. Don't worship yourself in that you're the creation. Worship the creator. So, I'm going to ask the, the praise team to come join me. And I say, come up. I'm just going to ask if you'd pray with me. Just about those, those four things particularly. <clears throat> just about those four things. So God is the creator. Genesis 1 and 2. It's like, we got a story, right? But we got to remember that our story falls into a much bigger story. And the story is much bigger than you and me. I mean, for crying out loud, we're only going to be here for five minutes. The Bible says, what is your life? It's but a vapor that appears for a little while and then it vanishes away. I went to a funeral last week and I've got a funeral next week. Constantly reminded that we are not God holds our lives in his hands. The Bible says we have to seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon his name while he's near. It makes sense that we appreciate God as creator. He made us. And if he made us, he has the right to rule us. And the thing is, he's not a dictator. He's not Donald Trump. See what I'm saying? He's a loving God. He's a wise God. And I'm not hating on him, as I said. I'm just saying, you know, the, our picture of God is not, a, is not an evil headmaster. You know what I'm saying? He's not like a, an abusive father or a neglecting mother. God loves us. He loves his creation to the point where we see him practically prove it by coming as a man, by coming as the Lord Jesus and dying on a cross for our sins, for that first sin that has now affected and infected the whole of humanity. Jesus coming and dying on a cross. That's how much God, somebody said, how much does God love me? He said, look at Jesus. He stretched out his arms and died for you. That's how much he loves you. And do you need to come to that point, that place where you stop striving and even striving in a religious sense? You want, you want God to accept you so you do all the religious things, all the religious stuff. Maybe even coming today, you thought you'd get a tick on the chart as a brownie point for coming to church and God will be pleased with you. None of this stuff pleases God essentially. It's nice to come to church. <laughs> it's good to love your neighbor. It's good to give money to Oxfam. This, these are all good things, but none of these things can save us. And this is where Christianity is distinct from any other religion. You cannot work your way to God. And you've been working trying to please God. You might even be a Christian who's been working trying to please God. Recognize that you can't. Your good works, not just your work, your good works are like filthy rags. Only Jesus' works are worth God's acceptance as far as 
providing righteousness and right standing. So stop working. Stop trying to please God in that sense. You please God by putting your trust in Jesus and repenting of your turning away from your sinful life. Father, thank you that as the God of all creation, thank you that you, you haven't abandoned sinful man as sinful as man is. As sinful as we are, you haven't abandoned us. I thank you, Lord, you came into my life 27 years ago when my life was about to crash and burn eventually. Thank you, Lord, that you're still saving individuals. Many are here, Lord, who can testify to the the time where you changed their lives, where you saved them. And we're so grateful for that, Lord. And maybe there are some here today that don't know that saving work of Christ and his forgiveness. Um, Father, would you help, help us to see that you're the creator. Help us to see that you're the king of your creation. And what a privilege it is for us to be humans, created in your image. And Father, that you want to give us rest. You want us to jump in and enjoy that rest with you. Like being in the Caribbean and diving into lovely blue water. And not having a care in the world. That's what we get in Jesus. Thank you, Father, for these things. And it's in his name and for his fame we pray.